Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today, my guest is Peter Collins Campbell. He's the director and writer behind the new film Dimland, which will be available on VOD on September 28th. You can also pre-order the film right now on iTunes. Want to thank Bookman's for sponsoring the show today and Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Okay, can you hear me? Oh, wait. Yes, okay, I can great. hear you. There we go. All right. I don't know what that was. I'm not I'm not sure what wizardry you just performed to make that happen, but thank you. No problem. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for taking time to do this. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while now. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you're about a week out now from the film being released. Um, how, how are you feeling? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, worried that, uh, three people are going to watch it, but, uh, you know, that's, I guess, normal. It's, it's normal, but I, I'm anything I say probably won't calm those fears at all, but there's a need it for won't. films like this. <laughs> so there, there's an audience for it for sure. And this is the kind of thing that people will share um, that this is something that anybody who's seen it talks about it. We find each other, the people that have seen it. And I think that you're going to, you're, you'll find your audience. It might not be immediately, but this is going to be one yeah. of those things that's definitely going to build over time for sure. That's definitely been the path that it has been on. Uh, it's certain nothing has happened quickly for this movie. Um, but you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm, we had like a modest little festival run and I'm, you know, uh, happy that anything happened, uh, it took us a year and a half to get into a single festival. So, uh, this summer, you know, was better than I expected. Which is so strange. Cause this is a, um, I, I guess it just goes to show when you do certain buckets genre films things like that there's easy places for them to go but um kind of this indie fantasy film that is you know kind of it's its own thing really doesn't have a proper place for it there's not a festival of like-minded filmmakers or films for this one yet but it seems like there's definitely a hole here it's like two it's two genre for art house and it's too art house for genre kind of there you go yeah but it's um it, it is one of those things where i i tend to be a fan of both i i, I totally. love art house films i love genre stuff so i think that venn diagram they overlap um when you go through some when you're at somebody else's house it's kind of like looking through their albums when you look through their movies um you're not going to just if somebody only has criterion films going across i mean good on you for having the money to do that but sure, yeah. at the same time my god man did don't you have any fun don't you have any uh yeah pizza That's, with the caviar i've met filmmakers that i like when i first uh started going to film festivals with this short film that i did a couple years ago um you know i i like met some you start meeting like i really didn't know any other like filmmakers um because i don't know i just i was in like music video world for a while and like so i started meeting other filmmakers and like i met other filmmakers whose films i really liked and some of them were like the director equivalent of like only watches criterion 
and you know only wants to talk about like you know what period of like Godard is you know most significant now or something like that and it's like that's cool but like also you know i mean like i i actively watch like superhero movies and you know it's and some of them are are really good (laughs) Uh, some of them certainly are um there's i don't know it's it's like anything else when you only like a very specific thing um i think the art that you create can be informed by that when you only have a very narrow view of the world, when you're not taking in things that are outside of your mm-hmm. personal taste, that that's probably not good for you as an artist. Cause I think you need to expose yourself to things that voices that you might not readily want to hear, but you know, to totally. when we were kids, so I mean, I'm 45, I've become a little bit older than you, but when I, when I was younger, um, you just, go to the video store, whatever was available, whatever was on HBO that night. And it was kind of limited choice. So you saw a bunch of shit you weren't necessarily interested in, but I think it made us more well-informed moviegoers. You need to go out of your way almost to watch something that you don't already know you're going to like now. And that's like, um, that's unfortunate. And it's the same way with music too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I like, suffer from that with with music because i feel like i know so many people that have such good music taste and like i don't know how to find shit anymore um i feel like i kind of know how to find like good movies if i want to Mm -hmm. and i don't always want to because it's so much easier to just watch you know like heat for the 50th time um (laughs) that's pretty rewarding though i'm okay (laughs) but like um yeah i mean streaming you know like i uh like the movies coming out exclusively on streaming kind of um Mm -hmm. but except uh i don't know what my point was there just like it is our reality but like there is a lot of negative as well as benefit to like having the world at your fingertips uh and like you know, descriptions of everything. I don't know. Well, it's the, yeah, it's the, there's a lot of great films out there. You can find them. You find critics that you trust. You find uh, distribution labels that you trust. It reminds me of what indie music was in the nineties, where you would find a label that you liked and you would buy their records, you know, whether it was sub pop or SST or whatever you found your kind of style, your taste, and you trust them to curate when you're going, when we had theaters, you would, you know, the local art house theater that had a good curator, you would get, just go see things that were there blind. Yeah. Um, I, I'm that kind of nerd that I will buy things just, and that I've never seen before because I'll see one thing that'll grab my eye. And that could be simply the production company or something like that. But totally. yeah, well, I I'm willing to take that gamble. And I, and I think people will with yours as well. Can you talk a little bit about where the inspiration for this film came from the idea? Cause it's, um, I never would have thought of approaching the themes you are through this lens. And I think it's a really smart way of doing it. Um, I wouldn't have either. I I didn't, I didn't like, um, I, it, it it officially started through like very traditional, like first film indie movie, you know, uh, 
jumpstarting, which is like, what do I have access to? Yep. And at that time, I had I thought I had access to a farm, um, and I had started. I, I met uh, the woman that plays Bryn, and I knew I wanted to write something for her, and I knew I wanted to write something for another friend of mine, and I knew that I was really obsessed with masks, and that was basically like okay, so something with like three people and a mask and a farm, and that's you know. Um, that's what it was. Uh, and I didn't actually, so I, I, I wrote something to take place at my, I'm trying to, uh, not say too much because I still have contact with this person, but, uh, basically a relative of mine said that I could use this farm that was Mm -hmm. in our extended family. Um, I wrote the first draft of the script very quickly, uh, like stream of consciousness almost. Um, and I wrote that first draft in three days and then I, you know, started honing it and I completely rewrote it. And I wrote a second draft that was like an actual movie that kind of resembles what is the final film. And then I went back to this relative and was like, okay, so like, um, I think I probably have everything that I will need. Uh, can we do October for the shoot? And then he asked me if I had insurance and I said, no, oh. And then I was not allowed to shoot on the farm. Uh, oh, but, but, uh, at that point, um, Nate who plays Rue, uh, who I, I say this at every Q and a like would have gotten the part anyway, but this certainly helped. He kind of was like, oh, we don't have a location. Well, my dad just bought property in Asheville in the mountains. And then he like sends me like a, like a a cell phone video of like the landscape. And I was just like, okay, that's going to be fine. And um, so I rewrote it a little bit. Uh, Originally the farm was not, um, half finished, uh, which was, uh, it was originally just, you know, like the original farmhouse is actually like a hundred years old. So Mm -hmm. like, it was just this old farmhouse. And then, uh, when I was thinking about how to like, you know, deal with that issue, a friend of mine that was going to be involved in the movie didn't end up being able to do it, had the idea, like, you know, what if they're like renovating it or something? And then that whole idea of like, tearing down the childhood cabin and like, you know, it becoming an Airbnb um, sort of manifested. And uh, I think that's way better than the original. Yeah. It lends itself to what the actual movie is when it ties, it all ties together. I mean, you have that perfect meld of what the characters are going to going through and what the physical reality is going through as well, which mirrors that. And so to see that on both sides of your protagonist, it's actually pretty impressive that you kind of backed into that in a way that it worked yeah. out like that. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a really lucky, very happy accident. So definitely. Um, and 
Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I grabbed a couple records, but I was also in the mood to get a new book. And in continuing with my trajectory of the year, I grabbed another Stephen King novel. This time I grabbed Revival, which is Stephen King playing around with the style of H.P. Lovecraft. If you're not familiar with this book, it's about a young boy who meets a young minister, and it's a story of how their lives intersect over the next 50-ish years, I believe. Um, This is pitch black. It is an incredibly dark story. Uh, This is King writing as dark as he did probably as dark as he has since Pet Cemetery, possibly, um, but with a little bit of the mist style to it. So this is a great book. I personally really loved this one. Um, unlike Pet Cemetery, I do think this is something that I'll reread in the near future. Pet Cemetery is one of those ones that's really difficult um, ever since I've had kids for, for me to get past the uh, first two or 300 pages of that one. So um, this one equally as dark, but for some reason I was able to get my head around it a little bit easier without it hitting so close to home. So uh, Revival, this is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it and want to thank Bookman's. They have your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. I I mean, this is one of those films that I think that you can easily tell more about the person viewing it by their reaction than maybe the filmmaker because there's a lot of things it's kind of that rorschach test what are you seeing when you look at this it's just an ink blot are you seeing something here that you're relating to in a way and i I think there's so many things with the trauma of childhood and substance abuse and sort of um the the way that we end up in toxic relationships and we don't even know that they are at the time there's just all these different things that we're you're touching upon here but never in an overt way um, I, what if, how do people react to this in that way? Is this something where they're, they appreciate that where they can see themselves or is it something where people are kind of asking those questions? What is this? Both for sure, because the negative reactions, which there are a fair amount, uh, like are people kind of saying like, what are these characters? They're like, I mean, like, so we did this, I, I've referred to this uh, sometimes on uh, our Instagram, but like uh, a year ago when we still weren't getting into film festivals, I did a virtual test screening of the movie and I did a Facebook ad uh, targeting like people that, you know, liked indie films and stuff. And the ad was just like to blind watch a movie and then fill out a questionnaire just to you know, like a test. Wow. That's and so we, ballsy. That is ballsy. Man. <laughs> well, I didn't have to use any of the responses, yeah. but uh, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of responses. I got like 70 responses. Um, I do think that more of them were film students than I had anticipated. Okay. Um, but I did use some of that feedback to do a final cut of the movie when I thought that it was, done at that point and i did chop a few minutes out of it um but like one thing that like at that point was like a a more like visceral now i feel like for some reason i stopped hearing this maybe it's just because like 
the people that with the positive reactions are the ones that want to like say something out loud about it. And the Mm -hmm. ones that have negative reactions are kind of quiet. But like at that point, the loud negative reaction was like, I don't like these people at all. Like one person literally like called Bryn like a huge bitch and like, you know, uh, just like, just really hated the characters. And like, you know, at that, like that was, that was fine because I, I, it's always been very conscious that like, you know, these characters are, are super flawed and like, you know, at very specific points in their lives. Uh, And like, it's kind of about learning, like not necessarily learning, like to overcome those flaws or anything like that, but like becoming aware of the flaws, Mm -hmm. which is, I feel like all that I can really comment on at this point in my life. Um, But like, you know, that's like, I was just sort of cresting over maybe the hill that like Bryn is like becoming aware of in dim land. Um, Well, it's, there's this point, I think that most of us hit late twenties, early thirties, where kind of the, while whether you had substance abuse issues or not, there's that AA thing really like, fuck, I need to call everybody that I ever talked to in my twenties and apologize yeah. at this point for what an asshole I was from, you know, maybe like 19 to 26 in that yeah, range. I feel that it's way just, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah and, I, and I think that's just part of growing and figuring things out and just being so sure of the world and then realizing that you really didn't know anything. And that's just kind of the normal evolution of life. And yeah. you kind of have to have that cockiness at that age just to survive. It's how it's armor essentially sure. it's protecting you from the world. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's good. But the idea of a comment being likability is something that I just, I've never cared if a character is likable or not. I, I don't want to watch likable people all the yeah. time it's they're, they're not compelling necessarily it's like i feel like you almost even I, i'm forgetting because uh it's it's been a while but i feel like you guys may have talked about this in the episode that you did about hmm. the movie um i'm forgetting who may have said it or if i'm just like it may, making this up but like i agree a character doesn't need to be likable but they need to be watchable um yeah that's kind of been my mantra for that, a long yeah. Time. yeah probably like i and that was something that i never really had any doubt that like martha had like bryn can sometimes be like a, a brat and make like choices that are terrible and like mm-hmm. the wrong thing to do but like you always i, I feel like you always kind of want to know what that person is thinking um, which is like the reason that I wanted to put her in a movie is just like, you put a camera on her and like, you're just kind of wondering like, what is she going to do? <laughs> well, she can hold the screen, um, next to somebody with that mask on and, and you're still looking at her wondering what's going on in her head in those moments, which actually says something to her ability as an actress that she could okay. play against what she's being asked to play against and still hold her own because a lot of people, a lot of actors would, wouldn't be able to hold the screen in a situation like that. And I think it's just a testament to her. And, um, and I, I'm really glad that you allowed these characters to be flawed and to be human and to 
hold up that uncomfortable mirror to ourselves because it's how we grow. It's how we learn by self-examination and looking at things that are uncomfortable, not by spending time with our great moments. You know, when, when you sure. think over your life, the things that echo, you know, kind of through, through your entire lifespan, they're the, the harder moments, the more difficult things, the things you actually learn from your triumphs, you forget very quickly. But yeah. the things that are the darker times are the things that we hang on to, because I think there's more to gain from those moments than the easy times, if that makes sure. sense. Absolutely. And like going back to the whole like Rorschach thing, I, I the thing that I'm that I pick up on most now with people's reactions that like there there is a I mean people take different like total meanings from the films here and there and that that's cool I like hearing the different um, the different things that people like take from it uh, but the one thing that I can say like it is in there intentionally. And like some people pick up on it and some people don't is the substance abuse stuff because like that was in there very intentionally. And like, it was even a bigger part of it in like the script and, you know, a a longer cut of the movie that existed. Um, But like now is kind of like chopped down to like a couple sort of key moments and Mm -hmm. it doesn't get like focused on too much but like that's for sure part of it well if you look at the opening of it's absolutely there um it's the opening of the film and anytime there is tension there's the drink is being reached they're reaching for it right there it's throughout the entire thing but kind of like at that point in your life and when people are in the throes of those moments and it's not something that's overt it's, it's not, you don't, you're not focused on it when you're in the middle of it necessarily. It's just something that's that, that crutch that you're using at that time. Yeah. Um, especially it, to me, at least that's how I took it. When I look back at that time period in my life, when I was absolutely drinking too much and mm-hmm. making really reckless decisions that it was all these things playing into each other and not just one thing. And I love that about this film, that it's not just this one singular thing in my mind that's being pointed at and that it's just this thing that's right. causing all of this to happen. It's, you know, and even that, like it was overt to me, but to some people, they might just completely pass that by. Yeah. That it could and be they, some people like some people, it's just like an obvious thing. Like you're talking about like a, an obvious part of it. And some people just kind of like, don't really pay attention to it at all which is cool like i i didn't want it to be like a you know a story about someone with a drinking problem because my experience with that was not you know like an aa story of drinking it was kind of just like becoming uncomfortable and then you know i had to like do something about it and i actually quit uh drinking for dim land and then i never went back oh wow i believe in two days, it's three years. So that's cool. Outstanding. Congratulations, man. Thanks. Um, yeah, that's a, it's, and that's the thing that, that kind of relationship with that, it's not something that's clear. Um, and it's rarely represented that, that side of substance abuse where I quit drinking for about a year and a half at one point in my life, and then kind of came to the other side of it and realized there was all these other things that were going on that I was, it wasn't the drinking. It was just, the drinking was a part of something bigger that was going on. I just, there's a lot of shit I wasn't dealing with. 
And sobriety for that period of time helped me to get to that place where I was just clear, more level-headed. And now I guess I just have that thing in back of my head that's like always there that just says, okay, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do that? If it's just two o'clock in the afternoon, I feel like having a drink, I'm not going to have a drink right then. If it's the appropriate time, then I'll do that. But you know, somebody, when the podcast that you listened to that I did before, I actually, the guy that I did the episode with was a substance abuse counselor. And when I brought that up, he, it completely went past him. He was like, I, I I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it through that lens. So that's how I think you, different people can have such clearly different reactions to this. And that's a beautiful, rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where are my like moderate alcoholics at? (laughs) <laughs> you know that <laughs> ma yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's been it's it's an interesting thing and and i think that that um originally the the presence of alcohol in the movie was was too much because i think it was making too much of a statement and i think that where it's at now is like is the level that i think um you know, is, is the interesting kind of like level that doesn't really get talked about too much where it's, you know, it's clearly part of a million different crutches. Uh, you know, the relationship is a crutch. The lifestyle is a crutch. Um, it's, uh, it's just a lot of like safety nets, um, that have to be, that have to be removed. Yeah. And I guess as we, as we get older, we, hopefully we find, crutches that are left less self-destructive we all need crutches we all need support we all need things that'll help us get through the day because life life is hard it's a constant kick in the teeth and you just need people and things around you that aren't hurting you more that they're helping you get through those harder times and i I think that's where i'm at now and probably in 10 years from now when i reflect back on my 40s i'll have a much different opinion of it hopefully (laughs) so because i hope the growth doesn't stop but yeah. th- th- I'm really excited for people to start having conversations about this film because it's one of those rare films that just kind of stick with you for a long Thank time. You. And this is one of those films, like every couple of days, I-, I think about this and there's imagery here that's going to stick with me for years. And this is a really the kind of the perfect movie to watch right now as we are going through 18 months of reflection and you know sort of meditation and i think this is a kind of a beautiful extension of that time and so thank you for for making the film and i'm yeah really excited to have people to see it yeah no of course um but um yeah so this will be available (laughs) itunes all the places and um where can we send people to find out more about dimland uh, the easiest thing would be just dimlandmovie.com. Uh, it's going to be available on all um, streaming. Well, not streaming at first. Uh, VOD platforms like you know Apple TV and basically just like if you got a smart TV, search Dimland and it's going to pop up. And you know you like Vudu, it's going to be on Vudu. You like <laughs> iTunes? Actually, okay. So I, I don't know when this is going to come out. Uh, if it's going to be before yeah i'll i'll put it out this week so okay uh well if it comes out in time uh friday pre-order through sa sunday uh the 20 i don't know what dates let me look at the calendar uh, i think 28th is the 
release date, right? 28th is the release date, but for 24th through 26th, you can pre-order it on iTunes at a heavily discounted price. So that's fun. Done. Do you have at least one? I will be purchasing it. Cool. So Great. Yeah, you got you got at least one sale. So okay, yeah, now think- we got to get two others and we'll be good. um but yeah it comes out on the 28th and then um in a couple months it should be on a streaming platform uh according to the distributor Uh, i don't know which one and on october 8th we will be playing at the hollywood theater in portland that's great that's an interesting thing because we have our own uh distribution or theatrical distribution rights not uh vod has been uh you know the, per, the rights have been purchased, but we have mm-hmm. our own theatrical distribution. So we're basically going to just like keep doing one-off screenings forever, <laughs> you know, like as, as long as there are theaters that have an interest in a movie that, you know, is available on VOD, which is a surprising amount uh, of them since yep. COVID started, um, you know, we, we are available. So any, any theaters out there that want to book us, Hit me up. That's fantastic, man. And are you going to be doing Q and A's tied with those, or kind I'll of? I'll be at the. It? I'll be at the Portland one. Um, we don't have any others on the books. We're trying to get one. I live in New York. We're trying to get one out here, and probably an LA one um, at some point soon, but not sure when. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck, give me hope.
always crack.